Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to Jerusalem News, the Israel Teacher's Lounge, where we keep you connected to what's going on in Israel. I am your host, Mike Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? It's going pretty well, Mike. Alan's busy being distracted, looking up. What are you looking up, Alan? I'm looking for the Declaration of Independence, since we are Erev Yom Ha'atzmaut here. Okay, well, that sounds nice. We'll do our little analysis. But first, before we get into the Declaration of Independence, you look on your drive. Why don't you just do a Google search? That's what I'm going to do now, but somewhere in my drive, because I've printed it for class. So that's why I just thought it would be there. I can't tell what makes you an older man, that you tried to find it in your files before you just Google searched it fresh, or... I don't know. I'm so lost. Um, but we are, we are going to... We got I, I think what makes me old is that I was born in the 20th century. <laughs> that's it, yeah. 1965, right? Yep. Yeah, I'm 1968. Good trivia for all you fans of the podcast. Uh, but now that school is back in session here, uh, we are going back to our segment called Question of the Week. And our Question of the Week comes from Lily Shams at Amit. Uh, I went to high school with Lily's Aunt Bonnie. Some more trivia for you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really trivia. Um, uh, I, I haven't met Lily. I'm sure she's lovely. Her question was, she heard that there's a J Street conference in Washington, and she wanted to know what was J Street and what are they doing at this conference? Uh, that's a great question. Um, Lily. So what is J Street? J Street is a, um, defines itself as a pro-Israel organization, a Zi- and they define themselves as Zionist. And they've been around now for about a decade, I guess, about 10 years ago. But there were, their founding was cert- certainly controversial. And uh, even today, they're still controversial in some, you could say, pro-Israel circles because um Part of their founding wasn't only to support Israel, but it was actually also to be publicly critical of Israel, where they thought Israel needed to be criticized, particularly in the United States. So um, they were kind of bucking a, uh, a norm, I think, an establishment norm, which was... Well, there is. There is a mainstream organization that lobbies Washington on behalf of the state of Israel, which claims in its own... It presents itself as apolitical, and its job is to keep American, the American government close to the Israeli government, no matter who's in power in either government, which is what they do. Although people say, organization? APAC. I didn't say APAC. No. There is a. No, so go ahead. My bad. So, uh, uh, and people say, well, it's really right wing, and they don't, and, and people with, in America, with left wing perspective about Israeli politics don't have a voice in that lobbying system so they created their own lobbying organization and right so so that's sort of that's what jay is in but the, the pushback on that is apec would say we're not right wing we support whatever the israeli people want and that is expressed through their elected government so we support the government so when there was a you know quote-unquote left-wing government or quote-unquote right-wing government They'll support those policies because they see they're the ones who get to decide on the fate because they're the ones who are living it and if we're on in Yom Hazikaron today, the ones, in a sense, protecting it with their lives. 
J Street came along and they said, well, it's not only that they're right, that, that we actually think that they're wrong, you know, that, that there are times that the Israeli government is wrong and we're not going to, we're not going to hesitate to, uh, to criticize it. It's not only that we're going to hesitate to criticize it. They were actually, I think, founded on that idea of public criticism. Of the for sure, for sure. Because APAC says we, we won't criticize Israel. We'll just work on keeping American and Israel close. And they said, no, we want an organization that criticizes Israel. And they say we have the right to do that because America gives Israel so much money, almost $4 billion a year, whatever it is these days, then as an American taxpayer, I have the right to say that that money should come with strings attached. For instance, Israel should withdraw from the West Bank, and then it was Gaza. But. So in general, that, so th- this has kind of shaped that relationship, so they've become really, in some circles, they're, you know, very... Uh, um, it's very controversial uh, amongst the you know you could say the college crowd. There's a lot of poss- po- po- a lot of popularity, and there's uh, what's called J Street U, which is their their um, campus organization. Um, I've heard from students who've been there, and I'm just repeating them because I haven't gone to their stuff, and I don't know exactly. I read online, and their online stuff, uh, everybody can go and check it out. But I've heard from students that the atmosphere at j street events is just being critical of israel and that has turned off students that i've you know that i've spoken to even again students who are even more left-wing or even already want to go and see that they felt very turned off by that like it's just let's bash israel well i think what happens is you have the major organization if you look at their website you say oh i get it Zionist, pro-Israel, but left-leaning, supporting leftist policies. But when you get down to the nitty-gritty on particular campuses of particular groups, not only do you sometimes, and this I've, I've seen in who they invite and who they cooperate with, they're sometimes really, to my surprise, working with, I would even say, anti-Zionist organizations. Um, you know, the mother organization doesn't control uh, uh, at that level of retail, of small, granular level of what happens on campuses, you'll see things that really shock me on a local level that I think very hard to justify. And I think that's partially why it's controversial. I think the other reason it's controversial is, um, and I'll, I, I personally have this issue, if you want to lobby a particular policy in the state of Israel, there's an easier way to do that. Move here and vote. And vote for the party you want to see in power. I, I have a moral problem lobbying government A, which is supporting the state of Israel financially for its own interests, and say to that government, I want you to tell the you know government B what they're de- to do things that their democratically elected government isn't doing, and their people aren't supporting. I have a problem with that. I don't think that's how democracies should relate to each other, and I don't think that citizens in democracy A should be doing that citizens and democracy be, whatever the policy, whether I agree with the policy or disagree with the policy. I think there's something odd. I, I do think that perhaps APEC needs to find a way to be a, a bigger tent to include more groups. I, I hear that criticism. Um, but I but I do, I do think the controversy isn't just uh, smoke and mirrors. I think it's really... I, I do think there are problematic elements to J Street, although... You know, if, if I had a student who said, this was, you asked me this in my uh, interview to work for Jerusalem U, if I had a student who said, do I that, I would express my concerns and then say, okay, I'm always here to support you. You know, if you're, if, if you're supporting Israel and, you, you, you know, I may disagree with that, that's the way to support Israel, but, you know, I'm certainly always your teacher. I'm always available as a resource. I actually remember you answered it even better as a teacher, which was one of the things that grabbed us in the, those of us who, who were in that meeting, which was like, well, first, before saying anything, you discuss with them why 
what you know why are they you know considering that what's behind it and have a discussion with them which i think was the you know the thing that was really uh you know very different with this idea of approaching okay let, let's talk about it and not let's just uh knee jerk oh this is bad or even knee jerk this is good right i think that's that wasn't right. me that was the guy before me oh you hired the wrong guy you mixed us up no he said no but uh, <laughs> um anyway uh I, so one question about this j street convention that they just had they had a convention yeah, I mean, we know the APAC has a very has become like this <laughs> Israel revival convention they have now with over ten thousand people and very very big headline speakers. That's as big as my city. <laughs> and J Street um, has also been running conventions every year, and they've gotten bigger. And what I have noticed is that in the very first years, they were still very like nobody knew if they should jump in with them and now they get israeli politicians they get american politicians they've uh um so um agree or not agree with them they're certainly having an impact on the on the israel discussion let's say in america yeah again i you know i'm i'm sorry that that isn't doesn't at this point seems to be people are saying that that's not possible within the mainstream uh, world of institutions that makes me sad. I think those things should be able to be. I think all the voices should be hearable under one roof, but I guess not. Uh, you know, I don't know that I get why not. That's the only thing. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's uh, just also a sort of representative of the times, though. I mean, you look back at the early Zionist movement, and then maybe you know, like that—that's what Herzl wanted to do. He said, "Okay, all these people are on different wavelengths." But everybody's really has like the same idea we're talking about, even though we see it differently. Maybe we have different solutions, but let's all come together. And then out of that, they created the World Zionist Organization. But we do know that Jabotinsky felt that he did not have a voice in that institution and formed his own. So in those days, it was the voice to the right of the political mainstream that broke off and made their own organization. Today in the 21st century, it's a group from the left that broke off and said, we have to make our own organization. So it's not unprecedented. I'm not sure what that says about the society then or now, that then it was the right wing that got excluded, and now it's the left wing that feels excluded. Uh, I kind of just was pointing out that maybe things, you know, things weren't as united in the past he called his the new zionist organization which isn't the most creative title well it's like the new jew he was trying to wait for he was trying to wait for someone to give him money to name it called after him you know uh the birnbaum zionist organization exactly anyway but do we wanted to talk the main topic today really about um state of the nation you know where it's it's just a few hours before before our transition from from Yom Zikaron, the day of uh, memorial for Israeli soldiers and security officials and, and victims of terror, and um, tonight we will begin uh, Yom Atzimut, the uh, Israeli Independence Day. How is this Yom Zikaron? Before we get to our state of the nation, how how, how has Yom Zikaron been for you so far? Um, actually, finding a lot and some, somewhat similar to Yom Hashoah this year, where I find myself very reflective. Um, though I I. You know, and Israeli television is a very special thing to watch on Yom HaShoah and Yom HaZikaron, particularly on Yom HaZikaron. It's, it's Inyan, right? There's nothing that's not um, part of Yom HaZikaron. It's a lot of st- stories about those who have fallen and, um, and interviews of their family and all kinds of uh, other interviews. A cousin of ours was on because she did a interesting, her, her um, master's thesis was on the what the 
comrades go through because that's often ignored. Like what are the brothers in arms, either those who, who lost their friends, what they go through for their whole life. And it stays with them their whole life. Um, so you have all of these differences that are constantly on. But I find myself also having to watch it in very small takes because almost every story makes me cry. You know, it's, it's just, quickly overwhelming. I find it easier to leave on the radio where they play songs. Of, there's so many songs in the Israeli songbook about loss and, and war and wanting peace. That, that's basically what the radio is all day. That's, to me... All the radio stations. All the radio, all the time. Basically no commercials, just memorial songs. And that, to me, sets a tone without overwhelmingly, like... I, I'm with you. I, I find it overwhelming. You know, today I went to the ceremony here at the local cemetery. I stand by my aunt's grave. My aunt was a victim of terror in 2001, Sarah Blaustein. So I gather there with my family. And as the as the siren goes off, these three Israeli jets fly overhead at the moment of the siren. So it's very... It's easy to be overwhelmed, and so I have to do what you're saying, which is sometimes I go into an intellectual reflection mode to not be overwhelmed by emotion, which just will paralyze me and make me useless. Yeah, absolutely. And then I also say we have this campaign going on of uh, When the Smoke Clears, um, our uh, Jerusalem News new movie that deals with uh, soldiers who were injured in combat and lost their comrades and their own struggles of recuperation. Um um, so that has been also quite interesting because we were showing it in all of our gap year schools or sit watching it. They started, they started last Thursday and the bulk are seeing it today and tomorrow, uh, yesterday, last night and today. Um, and then it's also a worldwide campaign where over 120, I think 124 high schools are showing it where, so we're talking over 10,000 Jewish youth watching this movie to connect to Yom Zikaron. I find that that, that's also like, that's crazy. <laughs> Something like that makes me really proud to work for Jerusalem yeah. U because it's such an impactful, powerful story being told through a movie so well. I think I'm going to put a link on this episode because I think you can still see it for free for a few days before it becomes part of the... Uh, I think certainly for college, I think for sure. Um, for college students, because there's also the online screening right. movement, which is, we didn't even talk about that. That's the for college students watching it. So, okay. That's good. Okay, I don't want to be a cheater, but how would people, how would the website know the online screening website? How would it know? Uh, I have no idea. Well, I'm going to put the link, and if you're in college, for sure you should watch it. It's powerful and impactful. And if you're not in college, I don't know what you're doing. So you you know, well, I th- listening to our podcast, you can kind of like drew some new podcasts. So it's kind of like being in college. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like well, this is the teacher's lounge. So teachers also get to uh, to watch it. It's the 45-minute version. There's a longer, fuller version, which is, uh, I think, richer. But I think in the shorter version that's online, you get the, the basic impact of these soldiers, who these wounded warriors who take care of each other. It's a beautiful I, – I, I've watched it now a few times, and it's overwhelmingly important, I think, to watch. 100%. State of the Nation. We tried to say, well, here here we are on the eve of Yom Atzmut, the 70th anniversary of the birth of the Jewish state. And so we decided, let's just schmooze a little bit about how do we think we're doing. Let's do a quick checkup before we enter into the joy and celebration of Yom Atzmut. How we doing? How we doing? So we came up. How you doing? <laughs> I was thinking New Yorker, but I was thinking Ed Koch. I think you were thinking more Brooklyn, yeah. Philadelphia. That's how I also Philadelphia. How you doing? That's the Philly version. 
How am I doing? So uh, what we thought was we, we, were, we came up with a few different ideas, but we finally settled on this one that Alan thought of, which is in Israel's Declaration of Independence, which we've said many times before, is such an important document and is so overlooked. I think it's I, I think if you want to understand America, you have to understand at least you know the idea that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And if you want to understand Israel, you have to understand our founding document. It's the, you know, we were talking about a big tent approach to Zionism. This is the last really big tent Zionist document, I think. And so it's so important. And... I agree with Alan that this is a great way to, at least on this one paragraph, and talk about a little bit how are we doing so far and what work do we have ahead of us as we continue past 70. Um, Alan, would you read the appropriate paragraph? Yes, yeah, so this is, of course, in the middle of, or towards really towards the end of the, of the declaration. And the paragraph begins, The state of Israel will be open for Jewish immigration for the ingathering of the exiles. It will foster the development of the country for the benefit of all its inhabitants. It will be based on freedom, justice, and peace as envisioned by the prophets of Israel. It will ensure complete equality of social and political rights to all its inhabitants, irrespective of religion, race, or sex. It will guarantee freedom of religion, conscience, language, education, and culture. It will safeguard the holy places of all religions, and it will be Faithful to the principles of the Charter of the United Nations. Wow. Very ambitious. A lot of values and goals. <laughs> well, let's see. I mean, that's, that's a lofty set of ideals. Let's break it down. It's after the state is declared. This is the mission statement sort of of the state. It's not the only crucial important paragraph, but it is one of the very crucial and important paragraphs. It's the paragraph that lays out the vision for the state, really. Yeah, I, I would say that afterwards, the, the beginning of the declaration lays out the history. We've done episodes on that. I would love to do further episodes just analyzing the second half, which is the vision and the, and the call to action section also I think is very important. We appeals. We extend. We appeal. Here's what, here's our, here's what we would like to call on others to help us do, I think is also crucial. But this value statement of a mission statement, Let's see how you want to start at the end or the beginning. I think we can run through a little bit in the beginning, like the ingathering of the exiles, because the, I mean, 45% of the Jewish people are living in Israel. That's the stat that just came out. We have 8 million, 8 million 600 something, right? Citizens of the state, but not Jews. And over 6 million citizens, Jews, Jews of the state. Like six and a half million or something. Yeah, which is something like 45% of the, of the Jewish people. I mean, up from like 43, I think. Up from forty three and up from the founding of the state, like one percent. Yeah, the founding of the state was ridiculous. Founding of the state, there were like six hundred thousand Jews. America had like six million Jews. America, I think, still has, if uh, I think, slightly under six million Jews, and Israel now has six and a half million. Right. So that that's just, I mean, the, there's a win. There's a, definitely in a win column of. Uh, you really, you think forty five percent is a win? Again, seventy years in, yeah. But is, is this the Rasmussen poll that if I get forty five percent approval, I'm winning? No, I just think as long as we keep climbing, we're winning. Oh, so you're saying for this stage at seventy? Yeah, exactly. I'm saying we should step, stop here. We should never stop. Do you think the declaration means in gathering of all the eggs? Do you think the Do you think the declaration? Do you think the authors of the declaration meant one hundred percent? Well, I don't know uh, if all of them did, but certainly Ben Gurion did, who read it. He he absolutely did. 
uh, that every Jew should be living in, in, in Israel. In fact, I just watched the epilogue that you showed me that everybody should watch. We have to talk about that more with Ben-Gurion, these uh, interviews with Ben-Gurion in 1968. And he, and he says there, well, I'm not a Zionist anymore, because if you can be a Zionist and living in out, outside of Israel, then I guess I'm not a Zionist. Um, he, he 100% was very clear that... that Israel is for Jews, and that's where all the Jews should be. I mean, I would say that's a mainstream view in Zionism. I'm sure, I'm sure that not everybody who signed the declaration totally agreed 100%. But I think the idea of this declaration is partially emphasizes what's unique about the Jews. But on the other hand, it, you, it, it, it identifies what's universal about the Jews. In other words, most French people, I assume, live in France. Most Italian people live in Italy. I assume most Indonesians live in Indonesia. Most Jews should live in Israel. That's just the normal state of a nation. And so, you know, you have some expats, but if not 100%, 98%. There's no other nation on earth that looks at 45% of its population living in its homeland, 55% living in diaspora, and says, well, that's normal. Right. So, but why I said I think we're doing pretty good in terms of the 70 years is because we started reverse. Everybody was outside. When we declared, say, we only had 1%. And now we've got tremendous growth. That that's huge success. Not- I don't know what the projections were seventy years ago. How long it would take us to get to forty five percent? But the truth is, forty five percent in seventy years. We can look at a glass half full and say, well, that's quite an achievement, as long as we keep filling the glass. One hundred percent. Great. Uh, agreed. Let's get on to some more of the other values. No. Um, yeah, that's enough values for one day. <laughs> uh, development of the country for the benefit of all its inhabitants. Well, development of the country part, it's a very well-developed country. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just, just look at it. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Although, again, to go back to the founding father, Ben-Gurion, the Negev, I don't think, is as developed as he wanted it. Uh, no. Um, he, he really wanted a Negev that would be as populated as the Galil or even the center of Israel. Yeah, I mean, he, that's where he – well, he actually even there says that he doesn't in – in those interviews about it being against big cities. So he right. felt that, that was detrimental in, in general. Well, he doesn't like right dense now. urban life. He recommends smaller village life. But he thought that the population of the Negev should boom, and it's much bigger than his yeah. day. But it's not, I don't think, what he wanted. Right, because he saw that all those people moving to Tel Aviv, because, again, 63% of the country lives in the, in the middle of the country, yeah. um, in what we call Gush Dan. It, it was unhealthy, as he saw. And you've had all that land in Negev. To it is out. crazy. Along the coastal plain is like over 60% of the country. It's crazy. Along the, that center of the country, coastal plain. Yeah, it is really, it's really crazy. But, you know, uh, people uh, want to live where uh, it's, uh, you have jobs, you have schools, you have things going on. Oh, I get it. But, but you know, you still need the Galil and the Negev to be more. So, again, for 70 years... Good grades, work in progress, though, still. Yeah, for certainly. Now, what about for everyone? Well, right. Development for everyone. There's, that's a clear nod to the you know, non-Jewish inhabitants. And I think it would be hard to argue that non-Jewish inhabitants, inhabitants haven't benefited. On the other hand, we know that there is, there is discrimination, and we know there's a difference um, between services in different places. If you look down at Bedouin in, in the South, we haven't really still figured out that. That issue of that's a particularly tough one because as opposed to Israeli citizen Arabs who live, let's say, in the Galil, Bedouin Arabs, there's a push and pull. In other words, they, they there's a you don't want to. They feel culturally their lifestyle is very important to them, and they want to live that tradition. They don't want. To, it, United States has a similar, although different, problem with natives 
who, if you, you know, you're trying to turn them into an urban or suburban population, but they're nomadic peoples. How much do you want to destroy their culture? Is that, is that, a, is that a form of spiritual? Right. Exactly. And that we haven't worked that problem out, but I think that that, that you know, this certainly has to be noted when you're talking about development for all its people, uh, for all its inhabitants. You know, what does it mean to develop, and what do people want, and how do they benefit from from all of those the, all of those um, resources? Also, within the Arab population, there's definitely also discrepancies in terms of resources and investments. And the two populations with the highest poverty level are Arabs and Haredi ultra orthodox Jews. So that so that development, for whatever reason, and you can there's still something in the state that hasn't reached its goal there. Right. Right, one hundred percent. Again, again, it's like the forty-five percent. <laughs> you know, some would say forty-five percent. That's failing because that's under. You know, that's not a. You know, seventy and above is bad. No, it, it, it's progressing and it's moving forward. Is uh, do we have those problems? Yes. Do we have the struggles? Yes. One could even say the same thing for right. Like as you said, as Haredi, like how do you help uh, a group of people who are part of your society but have very different values to develop and to be? You know, what we would call. Um, uh, uh, integrated. You want them to integrate and have piece of the pie also, even though they have different cultural values. How do you integrate them in a healthy way without 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 damaging what's beautiful about their society? How do you how do you? It's tricky. It's very. These are real challenges. Right. You said it nicely. And how do you how do you preserve for them their their sense of also their identity? And we look. We know as Jews. You know, how does that happen? We, in our business at Jerusalem U, we very much struggle to keep, you know, our main goal is to keep Jews in, you know, outside of Israel connected to their Jewish identity. And that is very hard because it is becoming absorbed by uh, a greater um, a greater identity, you could say. Um, so um, that's that. That's again. We're, I think we, I think we can say, I think we can pat ourselves on the back, and you know, we should pat ourselves on the back and say, "Look, we have accomplished an amazing things." Israel is now a part of the OECD. It's part of the developed world. It's got, you know. Although for the, de- and I, I hate to be the guy who's always the doomsayer, but for the developed world, it has one. What? I was the doomsayer about the Bedouin, so yeah, that's true. So if uh, I'm happy to share doom, doom saying, but uh, for the developed world, it has one of the like the average. Salary level, income level, versus the price of average price of consumer goods. There's a very short like Israel has a bad ratio there. That Israelis make less compared to other countries and and, and pay more. So it's not even that. Even just the, for the average Israeli consumer, life is harder than it is in other countries just economically. Yeah, for sure. My I one hundred percent. I was just uh, just coming that we're in the OECD, which is already. A huge accomplishment. Again, yeah, yeah. We're looking at both sides, what we've accomplished, and we should be proud, but also what's the work ahead of us. Right, exactly. And, um, you know, I would say, first of all, Israelis generally score very high on life satisfaction within those things. The 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 death rate the the expected life exp- life expectancy is in the 80s for both men and women, which is like a developed. I mean, the socialized medicine, you know, the the medical what we get here is uh, is really is on a par of anywhere in the world. I mean, it depends how you measure it, but if you look at it on outcomes of health of patients, we're doing very very well for all the complaints about socialized medicine, which are often legitimate, but. Just measuring, do citizens have access to it, and does it make them overall healthier? It's pretty good. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so let's move on to um, 
uh, which was maybe some of the real key. Freedom, justice, and peace, as envisaged by the prophets of Israel. That's a mouthful. Yeah. That is a mouthful. What would you say? How would you describe? It's an interesting. It goes on to the, the next piece also, which will ensure complete equality of social and political rights to all inhabitants of religion, race, or I think those. Well, that I think is really talking more about minorities. But if you're if if you're talking about freedom, justice, and peace as envisioned by the Prophets of Israel, it's saying as opposed to Thomas Jefferson, who's establishing the value of the United States in enlighten enlightenment humanism with a DS twist by saying that the rights are come from the Creator. Uh, this is saying that the values of freedom, justice, and peace are coming from the prophets of Israel who felt that uh, that God was demanding of us that we treat each other and create a society of justice and equality and that the intrinsic value of every human life be allowed to develop its fullest. You end up in a pretty similar place, and I, I would say Jefferson's ideas are certainly informed by this. But if you look at Amos or Isaiah or those are the you know the first go-tos, but Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they're really emphasizing social justice that that you should have a low, that the poor and the rich shouldn't be living, the the, the income disparity shouldn't be large, that uh, the poor, the widow, the orphan should be taken care of. Um, so in other words, they're 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 really emphasizing, I think what we today would call social justice. Is that a fair? That's exactly what I was thinking, social justice. And I would say that we have some struggles here, um, especially as we're talking about the development of the country. Well, one of the things we do know is that Israel has, in the West, one of the greatest disparities between um, the, the, the haves and the have-nots. Um, there's a huge wealth gap in this country, maybe one of our biggest challenges. Um, I think uh, there, you know, part of that has to do historically from Israel going from really a more socialist-based economy to a capitalist-based economy um, has left a lot of people behind, um, uh, quite frankly, and that's uh, that that is a, a ticking time bomb. Um, so I would say, which is I think what the prophets were emphasizing that if you don't address these things, the state will collapse and be taken over from the outside. And often they talk in the language, uh, you know, of the widow and the orphan um, as those weak um, members and vulnerable members of the society. If you don't take care of your weak and vulnerable members of society, you're in trouble. They're almost saying there shouldn't be vulnerable people in society. There are people who are potentially vulnerable, but society should take care of them so that they're no longer vulnerable. So what's interesting in Israel, and I get this may need more discussion, maybe more analysis, but Israel has in itself has created a very strong... Um, uh, NGO support system of um, just for Pesach. Like basically anybody who needs food can get it for Pesach. There's these massive, massive um, uh, um, operations which are mostly actually activated by the, the ultra-Orthodox communities, the Haredi communities, to give out food to make sure that everybody has food. It's true in all sorts of ways. We were talking about in previous episodes about the refugee problem. A lot of the work going to helping refugees has come from NGOs. From a libertarian perspective, that's, that's just fine. In other words, government shouldn't be burdened with solving all of society's ills. And uh, as long as the society is working on it, it doesn't matter if it's coming from the parliament or it's coming from Amutot. How do you say Amutot? Not for profit. Yeah. NGOs. Yeah. Not for profit NGOs. Yeah. But uh, again, but I'm not so sure that 
in itself is a Jewish value, and it certainly wasn't what the, those founders of the country, because the founders of the country were much more socialist leaning. Um, uh, but and also things were very different at the founding of Israel. So. It's true, but I would judge it on a I, similar to how I would judge healthcare by outcome. I would say if the outcomes were better, I wouldn't have a problem that it was mostly NGOs solving problems. I just think we still have too many outcome problems. There's too much poverty. You have a drug problem. You have crime problem. You have you have sex trafficking, human trafficking problem, which is better. A lot of these things are better again than they were ten years ago, fifteen years ago. But the fact that they're a problem means we can't really be the light unto the nations that the prophets of old would would talk about, which is, I think, when you're talking about freedom, equality, and justice, part of the idea is we run a society so well that we become a model to other nations. Not that we're better, but because we are like other nations, we can choose better policies that makes us a model. So I'll say two things there about that. One is that... um, I'm not so sure we are doing better than we were 10 10 years ago, a decade ago. We may be status quo, may not be doing worse. It could be that journalists aren't exploring it like they used to, but the indications I've read are that the numbers are down. They're just not – that it's better than it was, but not what it needs to be. Uh, Because I I still think we're talking about something like 20 to 25% of Israeli kids are living below the poverty line. Yeah. Which is, uh, if I remember correctly, that's been pretty steady for the last. I was looking into human trafficking. That's what I was because that's a that's a really embarrassing problem for a nation to. Have. Oh no, that is way that is definitely down. Israel's definitely made a thing. But when I'm talking about like, and that is true that that's a terrible thing. But like when you're talking about poverty, because now that affects an entire life. That affects the the person his or her entire life. Not only psychologically, we love to talk about, but really what avail what options are available to them. How can they can move up the ladder? How they can have more security. economically, socially, culturally, right? Food insecurity as they call it today, right, is is really a very huge problem. And, I'm, I, and I really believe it's somewhere between 20 and 25% of Israeli children. For children, yeah. For children. It is. It's, it's yeah. terrible. And that that is, that that's a quarter, you know, fifth to a quarter of our kids don't have enough food to eat during the week. That they can't be confident that tomorrow they'll have enough food. Yeah. And that affects not only that, that affects how you can function in school. Not only because you're worried about what your next meal is going, you just don't have the, yeah. the, the brain capacity because you could be a very smart kid, but if you're not eating, it's going to affect how much you can concentrate. It's going to affect your health, it's going to affect your brain. Undernourishment is... Yeah, so I think that that to me is a, is, you know, a huge... Uh, a, a huge red flag that we really have a lot of work to do. I would go so far as to say that's the frontier that we need to we need to pioneer that frontier of solving that problem. That may be that sort of problem may be the most pressing problems that Israel has. It doesn't get the attention. Right. Finish and, and, and I would say that and why and that's. Did you just punch the microphone? I was trying to punch you. So you're lucky. The mic was in the way. I haven't been assaulted this badly since Dino was on. <laughs> so. No, I think that the, that's something that NGOs can't solve. That's something that is structurally government has to solve. When you're talking about 20, 25% of your, of your kids are, are living uh, with food insecurity, that's something that structurally is something is wrong, and government has to step in there, right? Uh, so I would say if the NGOs aren't solving it, then the government needs to step in. I don't think in principle it should be the government if NGOs are doing it well. Yeah, I guess so. We, we disagree. I don't think NGOs can because I think it's a, it, it, I think it points to a structural problem in the economy, right? Um, so that it's like you know, like unemployment, you know, and there were structural problems, or you know, for that came out of the depression. So they they adapted uh, the economy so that you you wouldn't get to those systems like crashing of banks or things like. So that. Now you have you now you have a, a disagreement between 
progressives and libertarians. I, I don't I don't have a dog in that fight. Yeah. Um, so we uh, do we want to move on? Yeah. Okay. So what's what are we up to? It will ensure complete equality of social and political rights to all its inhabitants, irrespective of religion, race, or sex. Well. Well, first of all, if we go to the, if we instead of running straight to the Arab-Israeli conflict, right? Let's the women. Women are are, are paid less, something like seventy percent of what men still in this country. Less women in in leadership roles in government. In you know, so again, but now you're starting on the glass half empty part. Overall, yeah. compared to other countries, I don't know that Israel's doing so much worse than other Western countries. In fact, in some ways, it's doing better than other Western countries. It was a leader, both in terms of roles in government, not the numbers are still aren't what they need to be, but certainly in military, the women play a more larger role than other countries that are catching up to Israel in terms of gender equality. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, By the way, it's an- I was definitely being the class at Hafem. That those those are problems that we're definitely that we're we're definitely um, uh, facing, and whether called gender roles or or minorities, and 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 integrating them in society. Um, by the way, this is one of the reasons why there's this big fight going on about women in combat roles in the army because that is a way up in Israeli society. So when you cut people out of those roles, women again minorities. Um, then, then that is a definitely uh, they lose the networking opportunities that come with being part of the elite of the society. Networking experience gathering because you know once you have on a resume that you were in a combat unit and you served as this or that, that's where it's also experience. It's not just right. I mean, networking also is very important. Um, and almost because how people are viewed. Uh, I would also point out that it says inhabitants, not citizens. Right. So that's that means refugees and other people who are disenfranchised. And uh, I mean, uh, I don't know what I guess I'm not sure what the Hebrew says. I don't remember. I should know that. But inhabitants may also indicate because, again, they're, they're, they're declaring this at the beginning of the state. They don't know what's going to happen and what's going to be. What, what are be, you know, they haven't fight this, you know, figured it out yet. Um, we probably should uh, maybe end on a good note. Well, that's not so hard to do. Uh, I would say, for, sir, for, finish the paragraph, freedom of religion, conscious language, education, and culture, whatever the challenges are, I think they're equally, I think the pluses and the minuses are equally spread. Re, uh, protecting the holy places of all religions, I think I think it does. I don't know. I think overall, the charter of the United Nations, whether the United Nations agrees with us or not, I do think we live up to. And I think, I think in terms of, you know, again, we're talking about glass half empty, glass half full. I think it's always important to put Israel in perspective with other countries. Are there countries doing a better job than Israel in terms of living up to these ideals and achieving these goals? Maybe. Are, have they come from the setbacks in the history that Israel came from? Are they 70 years old, coming from a third of its nation destroyed in a, in a genocide that the world stood by and watched? No. For who we are and where we are, I am willing to compare Israel to any other country on earth and be proud of its accomplishments and where it is, and be excited about the work that we have ahead of us. Is that fair to say? Uh, oh, just with an anecdote of uh, in America, uh, one day this week, I think, or early next week, Starbucks is closing all of its branches or something like that so that they could do um, uh, race uh, sensitivity training because two um, black men were arrested 
in a Philadelphia Starbucks because they didn't order because they were waiting for uh, their third party. All problems come from Philadelphia Island. Exactly. And that's why I came here. Yeah. So I think we're doing pretty well. I don't think, I think that, you know, if you look at uh, countries and their challenges, we're up there with the best of them for sure. But so I would like to ask you, what is your favorite thing about being in Israel? I mean, you made Ali, what, 10 years ago now? No, less, like six years ago. Six years ago, wow. Six years ago. So what, What? you know, you still remember the old country. Well, I, I, I honestly don't think I have a favorite thing. Just waking up and being, just breathing here, just walking here. I've wanted to be here since the eighth grade. So for me, I spent, you know, into my 40s, I just wasn't here other than visits of different lengths of time. And so every day I just felt not here. So for me, the ability to be here is such a relief more than even before it even is a joy. It's just, it's like somebody, it's like I was going through life handcuffed and shackled and now I can just walk without, you know, it's like swinging three bats and then I'll just swing one bat. You know what I mean? Like it just, everything is better. Everything is better. How about you? I would say um, this time of year uh, is very is one of the, my favorite things about being in Israel. I find it so meaningful, so powerful, and so meaningful. And um, uh, I really, you know, and for my family, it's very very important to us. Um, it's so emotional. Yeah. Look, I, I, you know, without getting into the debate as a religious person about whether to say Halal and Yom Atzmaut or not. I will say that the last time we've had a historic event that uh, that the nation decided to say hello for was Hanukkah, and that was 2,200 years ago around. Yeah. This is the first national event of such impact that at least a large part of the Jewish community says, well, let's say hello. I feel like I should thank God for the – like I just get overwhelmed at this. That's an amazing thing. Yeah, and, and I think part of it for me is you just see – New Jewish Israeli culture breathing like like developing existing like with every moment and it's it's really that's also so so refreshing um, you know sometimes it accentuates that I'm, I'm immigrant I'll always be an immigrant but uh, it's just so powerful but immigrants are part of the story I do feel a little bit like a Medici in Florence and you know in like the the 16th century I feel like I feel like I'm I'm in the Renaissance. I'm not the, it's not the Christian European Renaissance. It's the Jewish Renaissance. And I get to live during the Renaissance and watch the Da Vinci's and the, and the Machiavelli's, but you know, and, and, and the, everybody, the criminals and the fools and the, everybody doing their part. Seth Mandel said something interesting, uh, very powerful last night. He said in, uh, the Nefesh Benefesh, our good, uh, one of, oh, we haven't Benji in a long time. We got to bring Benji back. Uh, an accomplishment for Benji to get such a beautiful event together. Right, yeah, a night for uh, a ceremony for, for Yom Zikron. In English, for so many Olim who don't appreciate the Hebrew. Thousands. Um, but Seth Mendel spoke, and he said that you know, one of the reasons they're, they're in Israel is because when the history is written, it's not going to be written about Silver Spring, or I would say Philadelphia. The history is going to be of the Jewish people is written about Israel, and we're part of that, and you really feel part of that renaissance that's happening. Yeah, Baruch Hashem, thank God. Renaissance is a good word. Yeah, that, that's the word that always is in my head. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much. Chag Sameach. Enjoy the holiday, Alan.
You too, Mike. Chag Atzmaut Sameach. Enjoy your vegetarian grilling. I assume you grill even though it's vegetarian. Absolutely. There you go. All right. So I would say that's not necessarily the most ultra-Orthodox approach to grilling because there's no animal was killed during the making of your meal. Uh, what did you have for Lel Seder for your Pesachim? You had matzah. So we're doing a little bit better. We're having at least grilled veggies. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. It definitely counts. You're in. You're in the club. <laughs> I'm not like Ben-Gurion. I'm not excluding Zionists. Thank you so much, everybody. Bye-bye. Chag Sameach. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Jerusalem U, the Israel Teachers Lounge podcast. Please feel free to subscribe through whichever service you use. Also, come join us on the Facebook page and ask us questions and keep up to date with what we're doing. We love feedback. Also, we would really appreciate it if you could take a few minutes and review and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher. It would make a very big difference for us. And you would earn our eternal gratitude. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.